It's a discombobulated kind of day. So, um, Yesterday, someone mentioned that um, I may have sabotaged the building in an effort to change the kitchen, and I will say that that is not true. Um, based on those of you who looked at my Facebook status this week, you might think that I actually sabotaged the building in order not to preach on this text because it was coming so difficultly to me. Um, and I don't know why it was so difficult for me this week. It's not a very difficult text, but uh, nonetheless, I was struggling with it. But I think God worked. So, Genesis 21, verses 22 through 34. Hear the word of our God. At that time, Abimelech in Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity. But as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of his flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? He said, These seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore that place was called Beersheba, because both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the army, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. What I really like about the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is this phrase that kind of keeps coming up, the idea that Aslan is on the move, that there is going on in the story this progressive change taking place throughout Narnia. And what is happening is that the, the, the spell of the White Witch is progressively being broken because Aslan is drawing near and closer to accomplishing his great purposes for his land. He's about to set his people free from the tyranny of the white witch. What we see here is that Yahweh is on the move. We see that progressively he is fulfilling this promise that he made to Abraham before he left the land of Ur. This promise that we read about in Genesis chapter 12. He's on the move. He's working for Abraham's benefit. We see in places like Isaiah 64 what kind of goes on here. As it says there, Since ancient times no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen what God, any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. Abraham has been waiting for him. And God 
is acting on Abraham's behalf. And so this is just another in those series of, of stories of how God is acting on Abraham's behalf, fulfilling the promise that he had made decades before. The big idea this morning is that God restores peace at his own expense so that we can worship authentically. I'm going to unpack that this morning. <coughs> Excuse me. First, the idea that God works to restore peace between people. There's a conflict that sort of is here as we begin this passage. This is taking place about the same time as Ishmael is disinherited by Abraham. Okay? <coughs> Hi, people. Um, sorry, distracted by the people outside the, the window there. Um, it has been four years since the previous incident with Abimelech. Because remember, God had come and said, in one year I'm going to visit you again and you, your wife will have a child and this is the child of the promise. And this has been four years since then. The first the baby came, Isaac, and then three years later approximately he was weaned and that's the whole incident with Ishmael getting disinherited. So it's been four years since that day. And Abimelech says this to him, I know God is with you. Abimelech was able to recognize, able to see that there was evidence of God's blessing upon Abraham. He was able to see and notice the ways in which God was fulfilling that promise that he had made in Genesis 12. And he didn't necessarily know the content of that promise, but here he sees this old man with a baby. Not just an old man, but an old woman with a baby. He sees that Abraham is developing a great reputation. He is, be- he is being given a great name. He is growing in power and influence within the region. Abimelech knows he's already in a covenant relationship with Mamre, who, uh, whose land he left, but he still probably is still in this relationship, this, uh, this alliance, this treaty that they protect one another. And Abraham is growing powerful, and Abimelech notices this. And so he comes to Abraham, as you'll note, with the commander of his army. Okay? It's not just a, a meeting with, between a couple of old friends. Something a little more serious is going on here. And he says to him, swear to me. Not swear at me. Okay? Swear to me. Take an oath. Okay? Abimelech wants a covenant of peace. He wants this covenant of non-aggression with Abraham. He's generals there. Is he seeking to intimidate Abraham? Or is he now sort of intimidated by Abraham such that he needs his, as we talked about the Godfather recently, you know, his Luca Brazzi right here. You know, he needs his right-hand man to make sure that all is well. Hi, come on in. Uh, we're disrupting the cleaners. Okay. And so what you see, though, as I thought about this this week, I mean, who do you want to have a peace treaty with? People you fear. Okay. You know, think about Granada, right? Right. No, sorry, Grenada. 
did we, you know, seek a peace treaty with this little island in the Caribbean because, you know, they're so big and mighty and fearful? And we just went in there and stomped on their heads, okay? We, you know, we did this. And so there's some way in which Abimelech is now suddenly afraid of Abraham. There is some level of fear that takes place because, on the one hand, he sees that Abraham is growing in power and influence, and he's rivaling Abimelech. Okay, Abimelech knows that if Abraham wanted to, he could make life very difficult for Abimelech. Okay, this is more like the U.S. and Russia when I was a kid. You know, you wanted a peace treaty with Russia because you're not you're not really sure. You know, my dad's in the defense industry, or he was before he retired, so I. He'd bring me all these books, and I'd see all the different armaments and planes and stuff. And hey, you know, it's scary stuff when you're a kid. That's what's going on here. He's intimidated. But not only is Abraham growing in power, but we know what happened four years ago: deceit. The trust between Abimelech and, and Abraham is almost non-existent. He doesn't think that he can trust Abraham, and so he wants a covenant. And he says, he doesn't just say, swear to me, but he says, by your God. Okay, he wants him to invoke the name of this God that he talks about. Okay? He wants protection from Abraham through this form of this company, this uh, covenant. He says he does not want to be tricked or cheated. Okay? Then Abimelech reminds him, and this is this, this also sort of fits the the pattern of covenants in the Old Testament, uh, when the the greater, which he's still greater than Abraham, but it's getting close, and reminds him of the nice blessings of the past, and he says, "Remind me, mind, you know, remember how I have dealt kindly with you," which in the Hebrew that's Hesed. That word that we find, uh, particularly in the Psalms, the, the, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, hesed, loyalty to a covenant. And so he's saying, I have been loyal to you. I have kept my promises. You've been able to sojourn in this land. Okay? All is well. You've been treated well here. So remember this and show the same kindness, the same loyalty to me and to my descendants. Abraham agrees. He says, I will swear. I will take an oath. I will, I will do this. Okay. And because he has done that, because now it's sort of the, the, the tensions are de- decreased considerably, it is then that he brings up this grievance that he has to air. No, it's not Festivus. But he is airing a grievance. Okay. And, but, but notice how this takes place. He addresses Abimelech's initial concern before he brings up the grievance. What usually happens when we're in the midst of an argument? We don't address the legitimate concern of the other. We go great, we go straight to our own grievance. And so we just do this. Bang! We clash heads. We never make any progress. And so what's supposed to happen is that the gospel is supposed to stop us so that we recognize that, hey, you know what? There are two guilty parties in this whole deal. And so Abraham, in a sense, is owning up to his own failure in that relationship with Abimelech. And having done that, he's now able to address 
Abimelech's failure in that relationship, or at least what he perceives to be Abimelech's failure in that relationship. Okay? So it's not one-sided. The word that is used for reproved has this idea of not just exposing a particular sin or offense, but it also includes the idea of a call to repentance. And so he's not exposing this to sort of shame Abimelech and create distance in the relationship, but rather he's recognizing that there's a problem that stands between the two of them and he wants that to be resolved and so he's making it known so that reconciliation can take place in the relationship. Okay? Here's the deal. He says, your servants seized my well. The idea is to tear away, to rob. This this root in the Hebrew has this idea of violence. This is not shoplifting. Okay, I got a call from ADT the other day at the office, and they wanted they wanted to uh, you know up our coverage so we would have video cameras. And they said, "So you can stop shoplifting and employee theft." And I said, "Do you, do you know who you've called? <laughs> there's nothing for anyone to shoplift here." And there's only two employees that could steal anything, and I know I'm not. <laughs> you know, it's not shoplifting, it's mugging that is here. Okay, uh, Mugging includes a, at least the threat of violence. There is some sort of encounter that takes place, and it is ugly. And that is the idea that is here. It means basically that probably Abraham's servants were at the well that he dug, and some of Abimelech's servants show up, and forcefully remove them from the area. They may have brandished their weapons and said, it's time for you to find someplace else. And so he says, you know what? I dug this well. This well belongs to me, not to you. I want it back. So it makes me wonder if this struggle, this conflict between the servants might be the real reason Abimelech has shown up. Perhaps he's trying to nip this thing in the bud before it gets really ugly. We don't know. And we're going to see why we don't know in a few moments. But as I think about this, and I think about Israel moving into the promised land. Okay, Now, they were to displace the nations in the promised land. But this speaks more to the relationship they would have with the nations around them. And so really, part of what's going on here is that God is reminding them, I want you to have peaceful relationships with the nations who are around you. I don't want you to worship their gods, but neither are you to be always hostile to them. Because remember, Abimelech is not a worshiper of the one true God. And yet, Abraham has a covenant of peace with him. And so it's completely fine for them to have a covenant of peace as long as they're outside of the promised land. Okay. The ones, the, the nations that were within the promised land were to be dispossessed, but those outside, they're supposed to have a peaceful relate, they're to seek peace. And for us, we see as we look at the New Testament that peace is a really a priority for God's people. We look in places like, like Matthew 5. Okay. If it is possible, as far as it depends upon, sorry, Matthew 5, wrong place. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Deal with it. Don't wait for the the judge to throw you in jail. Deal with the situation. 
In Romans 12, as we heard earlier, if it is possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. Paul, in that, that command, is, is letting them know two things. One, we are to seek peace whenever possible. But he also recognizes that it does not only depend upon us, but there's that as much as it depends upon you, make sure you've gone the whole mile. You can't control what the other person does, but you can make sure that you are not to blame for the continuation of conflict. As much as it depends upon you, live at peace, not just with most people or some people, everyone. Whether they're Christians or not Christians, we are to be at peace with them. So there's this priority of peace, and we're, we're intended to sort of break the cycle that we see all around us of perpetual conflict. And it's supposed to kind of, it's supposed to be there in our marriages, it's supposed to be there in our neighborhoods, it's supposed to be in our churches, it's supposed to be wherever we are. Breaking this conflict, this cycle that continues. And so God works, we see here, in providence to put an end to our conflicts, not to perpetuate them. All right. The next two are shorter. Really. Restoring peace is a costly grace. First, we see God works to restore peace between people, but we also see that restoring peace is a costly grace. Abimelech, for some reason, claims to have no prior knowledge of this action. He says, you didn't tell me about this, and I can see why, because he was living in fear of Abimelech, uh, but still, you didn't bring this to my attention, and, as far, and as far, this is the first I've heard of this. Abimelech may actually be telling the truth. We don't know. But it seems strange for him to kind of show up out of nowhere, right? Kind of saying, hey, I want a peace treaty. Don't deal treacherously with me. What will Abraham do? Will he press his case or seek peace? Abraham seeks peace. Abraham is the one who provides the animals necessary for the covenant the animals that are slaughtered, through whom they will walk and say, may this happen to us if we break this covenant. Abraham is bearing the cost of the covenant, not Abimelech. Not only that, we see he provides seven ewe lambs, and we'll get to those in a moment, but we remember Genesis 15. Who walked through the animals? It was not Abraham. It was God who walked. And he said, if this covenant is broken, may I be torn to pieces like these animals. And so we see already, before we even get to Christ, we, we see this idea that God is the one who bears the price of grace. Back to our seven ewe lambs. Abimelech is confused. What are these for? And Abraham says that these are witnesses. We usually think of witnesses in terms of someone on the stand saying, this is what I saw, okay? Um, or if, may this never happen, if our insurance company took us to court, we don't want to pay. Some witness could say, you know, well, this pipe blew because of this, this, and this, and did all the forensics on it or whatever, I don't know. But anyway, something like that, testimony. But in this case, it has to do more with something that's deposited to establish the facts in a dispute. 
there was no camera, you know, on the palm tree that recorded Abraham digging out the well. And so he's saying, as a sign of faith that I'm telling you the truth, here are seven ewe lambs. Okay? They're going to be very productive for you, Abimelech. This is a sign that I have done this. And Abimelech, if he accepts the ewes, he accepts Abraham's testimony as true. Okay? So this is a significant thing. And in fact, he does affirm Abraham's right to the well. And so in a sense, this well becomes the first thing Abraham owns in the promised land. God is on the move. So much so that we see that this well is now called Beersheba, the well of the oath. Because an oath was taken there, a covenant was made there. And so God is slowly working to fulfill the promise of the land. He's already fulfilled the promise of the son. He's now fulfilling the promise of the land. He's already fulfilled the promise of a great name, but he's going to make it even greater. He's not done yet. Okay? Peace is costly. Someone who has been offended must lay down their right to recompense. And we see in our relationship with God that peace with God is incredibly costly and our peace with Him precedes any peace that we have with one another. Okay? The fact that we can have peace with God cost God His Son. Jesus purchased peace. Not with oxen, not with lambs, not with bulls, but with his own blood. He purchased the peace that we can have with God. Okay? But that's not the only peace he purchased. He also purchased this peace, the one that goes horizontally. Between people. In Ephesians 2, it says, He is our peace. And within the context of this, of these barriers of race and culture, and, and what Paul is saying in Ephesians 2 is he's tearing them down so that we no longer have hostility with one another, but that regardless of our race, regardless of our culture, we're united in Christ into one temple that worships Him, that we all have access together to with the Father through the power of the Spirit. All because of Christ who is our peace. Let us not fight with one another about stupid things. Let us have peace. The peace that he purchased for us. Every one of you who's married here, you all come, well, except maybe from Steve. Nah, Steve and Karen still have different cultures a little bit. I mean, they're both Canadian. They both went to the same schools for a while. But they come from different families. All of us come from different backgrounds. And you, you bring that into your marriage. Okay? And you can continue to fight about that stuff. Okay? Or you can say, Christ overcomes the, ba- the barriers that are between us. So that we live in peace. Not only that... But he is our peace 
who provided pardon. And so not only does he tear down barriers of, of race and culture, but he also tears down barriers of sin. How we have wronged one another so that as forgiven people, we, we become forgiving people. As, as Paul says later on in Ephesians, you know, because you grace other people as you have been graced in Christ. And so we who have been forgiven, this is how it's usually translated, forgive other people. So that the, the gospel is not just about us getting grace, but it becomes about us extending grace. Especially to those closest to us, but not limited to them. Okay? Not only that, but Paul, right after that, talks about the ministry that he takes of making that peace known to others. So evangelism sort of fits in here as well. We declare all of these things. Just as we read about in the call to worship, proclaiming his great works. Okay? So we can't restore peace on our own, but we must rely upon the work of Christ for us to restore that peace. Which brings us to our third and last point here. It is out of that peace that we are able to worship God in the light of his many blessings. We're able to worship God in the light of his many blessings. Abimelech takes off, returns back to his place. Abraham is there, and what he does is he puts down roots. When Amy and I were getting ready to to move from Florida to Arizona, we didn't plant a tree. We didn't think we'd be there long enough to take care of the tree. He plants a tree, a tamarisk, or something similar to a cypress. Basically, he's saying, this is my home. That's my well. This is my home. This is where I'm going to be for a while. And it is there in the, in the midst of this restored peace that he called upon the name of the Lord. And so Abraham responds in authentic worship. And this is exactly what is supposed to happen when the Israelites come into the promised land. They are to be, this is supposed to be a place of worship. To authentically call upon the name of the Lord. Not to call on him just so they get into the land but to continue to call upon his name after they get in the land so they stay in the land. Think about, I don't know why I just thought of this, but so many churches, what happens? They have a big building program or something, right? And everyone's, oh, they're all praying and they're all focused on fulfilling this building program or this capital drive, whatever it might be. And then it happens, it's done, and then what happens? Oftentimes, the church kind of spiritually goes, mm. they thought that the building program was it. It's not it. It's a means to it. Okay? No, I'm not announcing a building program. Okay? Getting to the land was not it. It was merely a means to it. And the real it was the worship of the everlasting God. That's the first place in Scripture this this name for him comes up. The everlasting God. But it's meant to be this, this place of worship for him. But it's meant to be authentic worship. Just as Jesus talks about again in Matthew 5, he says this. Um, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar 
and there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Our worship is a sham if we're filled with bitterness and conflict and hate. So often we come to worship and we we need to remember, we need, if there's people that, with whom we're in conflict, we need to, to work that out before we show up, if at all possible. Okay? Remember, as much as it depends upon you, okay? So, you know, if you and your spouse or your kids have been screaming at each other on the entire way here, deal with it <laughs> and come in. Appropriate the grace of Christ and come in. So that you're worshiping from the heart, sincerely, authentically. Back to the idea of the everlasting God. I mean, he's eternal and He's unchanging, and not only is He eternal and unchanging, His plan is eternal and unchanging. And as a result of that, He can be trusted to keep these promises just as He kept these promises to Abraham. Death shall not come to Him. He will not one day be unable to do that which He promised to do. First, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, it talks about how Christ is God's yes to all of His promises. He's the guarantee of all of those promises. And Jesus remains the same, as it says in Hebrews, yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus doesn't change. He was a promise-keeping God then. He is now, and He will be forever into the future, no matter what circumstances you may encounter, no matter how hard life might be. He is the same God, and He is able to sustain and keep his people. But not only that, that idea again that when we're brought into Christ, He is the place of worship forever. This is not the place of worship. He is. He is the sacrifice that brings that of our worship. He is the one the reason we have access. He is the place of worship. Kind of weird, isn't it? He's not only the one we worship, but we worship in union with Him. Scripture breaks down a, the, a lot of our narrow thoughts. Okay. So, Aslan was on the move, rolling back the effects of the White Witch's spell. Jesus is on the move. Rolling back the effects of the curse. He has provided the costly means for peace with God and with one another. And so living as people in peace, we begin to enjoy authentic worship. And so I have these questions. Is Jesus on the move in you? Are you experiencing the blessings of grace? Or are you still kind of stuck in that cycle of sin? unresolved conflict misery let's pray Father we are um, grateful 
that you indeed do exceedingly more than whatever we could ever ask, think, or even imagine. We thank you that your word testifies to the importance of peace, but it's not just a command. It is one that you provide for, that we are able to do this only because Christ is our peace, only because he came to make us right with you and then make us right with one another. So, Father, I, I pray for the relationships we have here in this body. Spouses, parents and children, neighbors, co-workers, that you would make us these agents of change, that you would be on the move through us, that we might make known your peace, but more importantly, we might live in your peace. That we wouldn't just talk about it, but that we would claim it, live in it by faith by recognizing that we too are part of the mess. And we ask this in the sure name of Jesus. Amen.